today we're going to finish up Proverbs chapter 14 in a message entitled, Burning Man and the Actor Who Plays Thor. I'm serious. I love Proverbs because the titles, they just write themselves, okay? So let's first of all talk about Burning Man out of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 22. Let's put that up on the screen. Can we? Here we go. Do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. This verse is about making plans to do good to other people, which all too often most people in the world, including us, don't do enough of. And one of the reasons people don't plan on doing good to others is because many people operate in a belief system of scarcity. Deep down, they believe there's only a limited amount of goodness and blessing available in the world. That's what they believe, okay? And you can always tell when a person has fallen victim into this kind of thinking. Because when you go up to them with your good news, like you're, you can't wait to share something good that's happening in your life. You've got a raise. Um, you're pregnant. You're getting married. You're going on a great vacation. Something like that. And you share this good news with them. They usually respond by saying, Gee, it must be nice. That's how they respond. They can't celebrate the goodness that's happening in your life because deep down they believe that means there's less available for them. It's such a sad way to live. And they definitely don't make plans to do good to other people because they're making plans to do good to themselves because they believe they've got to get their piece of the pie first. This kind of belief, this kind of thinking is actually a fundamental misunderstanding of the goodness and the immensity of God. If you read through the scripture, God is always urging us to love, to serve, to help, and to do good to other people because he knows the universe is not a place of scarcity because he created the universe. Sure, human resources and natural resources might be in, in like, you know, high demand someday and they run out, but God's resources never do. There's plenty of love, joy, peace, and blessing to go around. You can't divide up the divine and make him smaller, okay? In God's economy, there's always more somehow. There's never less. So when you make plans to do good to other people, you can do so without any anxiety, without worrying whatsoever, because God promises as you plan to do good, you won't run out of good. The universe won't run out of good because God never runs out of good. There'll be plenty left over for you, all right? That's the first thing, but let's get back to the concept of planning good. It is so great in certain circumstances to be the helpy. Now, our pride doesn't like that sometimes, but it's really good to know that other people are planning to do good to you and are actually carrying out those plans. That is so heartwarming to know you're being thought of and you're being helped. It's so humbling, but it's heartwarming. But it's also great to be the helper. There are so many benefits attached to being the kind of person that was described in the verse we just read in Proverbs chapter 14. Let me go over a few. The first is joy. You've probably noticed this. When you're planning to do good to someone, whether it's in your family, a friend, or a perfect stranger, as you're making those plans, you find yourself laughing, maybe even giggling, dancing around, singing, definitely smiling. That's because your body is releasing this powerful cocktail of hormones into your system of serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, how cool is that? God has called us to be people who plan on doing good, but then he's wired our bodies to actually enjoy the process. 
That's what brings me to Burning Man. If you don't know what Burning Man is, don't Google it. I'll tell you why later, okay? But Burning Man and Africa Burn are two huge festivals that take place yearly in the desert. And they're amazing, okay? And they're kind of like, imagine the country fair, but in the desert and on steroids with thousands and thousands of people. I just read an article by Tanya Dajjal, and it was brilliant. And she describes the happening of Burning Man. And picture this, you're in the desert, some of the harshest climate in the whole earth, and you're with thousands of people, and you're camping out for a week. And because of the harshness of your environment, people are always helping each other out. And they often experience this phenomenon called a helper's high, which is so encouraging to me because runners all the time tell me, Tim, you got to run because you'll get a runner's high. I've ran and ran and ran and ran. I have not once in my life experienced the runner's high. The only thing remotely close to a runner's high is when I get done, I go, yeah, I'm done, okay? I, I, am not, I think you're lying. I think all runners are liars, okay? But I have experienced a helper's high. I know that to be true. So I know what they're talking about at Burning Man is actually true. There's this gifting economy, this, this infectious generosity that happens at these events. You'll walk around in this article, Tanya describes this, you'll walk around um, Burning Man and people will just come up to you and give you things. Little trinkets, little works of art, maybe a hug, some food or some other whimsical gift just to make your day better. People actually plan in advance to do good to other festival goers. They plan on doing good to other people. They're prepared to give and to be generous because except for coffee and ice, nothing's for sale at these events. Everything is just given away. Generosity is like the defining trait of these festivals. And because of that, people experience this helper's high. I'll probably never go to Burning Man, okay, for two reasons. I'm allergic to dust and it's in the desert and it's just dusty. People are dirty. And they're naked. And some things you just can't unsee. There's a lot of nudity there. And I just can't handle the dust and the nakedness both at the same time. One or the other would be fine. But, well, you know, both is just too much for me. But they're on to something at these festivals. They're on to something quite biblical. In the Old Testament, when you read through various books, God ordained, he planned for people to celebrate various religious festivals, a whole plethora of them throughout the year. He did this on purpose. He wanted people to gather together to camp out and to celebrate their relationship with God and to celebrate their relationship with each other. He knew they would experience joy when they did that. Burning Man has tapped into something that God wanted all people to experience. And by the way, I mentioned last week, at the beginning of time, when God was creating everything, he was creating it out of tohu vavohu, which is a fancy um, Hebrew word for chaos. And as he was hovering over the chaos, I believe God was having an absolute blast. I actually don't believe God spoke creation into existence. I believe he sang it into existence because of this. I believe he was singing and dancing and shouting and having a great time. Why? Because he was making plans to do good to us. He was making plans for us to experience creation and beauty and love and relationships. I think he was hovering around having a helper's high. Plus, he was probably having a good time because he was hovering. If I could have any superpower at all, it would be to hover. Hoverman is what they would call me, okay? 
I totally lost my place with that. Okay, okay. Second benefit of being the kind of person described in this chapter is it lowers your stress. Yeah. When you plan on doing good to other people, because of this powerful cocktail of hormones that enter into your system, you have less room in your body for the hormone cortisol, which is actually called the stress hormone. So making plans to do good to other people doesn't just bring you joy, it actually brings you shalom. It actually brings you a sense of peace. How great is that? And the last benefit I want to mention today is a biggie. It's love. According to this verse, if we make plans to do good to other people, we will put ourselves in a position to experience love and faithfulness from other people. In other words, when you plan on doing good to others, you won't have to try to find love. Love will find you. How great of a promise is that in that verse, all right? You know, it is easy, at least for me, it's easy to think that every human being on the planet is inherently selfish, especially when you watch the news or read the news. You just think, hey, if push came to shove, every person on this planet would push me out of the way to get to a lifeboat, okay? That's just what you think. I don't believe that's true at all. I believe God is raising up a brand new wave of humanity on this earth that is going to be different than that. There's going to be the kind of people described in this chapter who plan on doing good. Please let that be you. I'm giving you homework. I don't want us to just hear the wisdom in this verse. I actually want us to act out on it. So this week, please, before the week is over, think about somebody who desperately needs to experience some good in their life and then purpose to be the person that brings that good to them actually follow through on this verse. Because when we plan on doing good, what we're doing is we're dancing in step with what God has been up to for all time. He, he was thinking of us. He was planning on doing good at the beginning of creation when he created the world. He started making plans when we screwed things up. He didn't resent us. Instead, he started making plans to do good to us on how to reconcile us to God and to each other and to the world. And then when bad things happen to us, things that we get angry about, even angry at God about, and we shake our fists at him. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get discouraged with us. Instead, he starts making plans to do good. He's planning on, hey, how can I use the rubble of their life and their bad circumstances as material to build something good in their lives? He's always making plans to do good to us. And when we make plans to do good to others, we're stepping in tune with God. It's such a great way to live. Love is never convenient. People say it is. It's not. But it is a blast to plan. Let's move on to the actor who plays Thor. Oh, I love this point. This is out of Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Let's pop that up on the screen now too. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You know, we often, I've mentioned this before, we talk about our lives compartmentally. We, we divide up our lives like we could actually do that. We say, well, this is my social life. This is my emotional life. This is my family life, my work life, and this is my spiritual life over here. I understand why we do that. It makes conversations easier sometimes, but that's not reality. All of the parts, all of the facets of our life are interconnected, and one facet directly affects all the rest of those facets, and this verse is a great example of that. It says, a heart at peace 
an inner life of shalom and tranquility makes your whole body feel better. And you know that to be true. When your inner person is doing well, your outer person, your body, your earth suit, whatever you want to call it, feels better too. But envy has the opposite effect. It says when our minds are full of envious thoughts, it actually sickens our body. It rots our bones. Envy is like this spiritual parasite that enters into us and eats us away from the inside out. Now, when I mention envy, don't think of envy and jealousy as the same thing, though people use those words interchangeably. They're totally different. Jealousy is when you have something and you're afraid somebody else is going to get it. They're going to steal your girlfriend. They're going to steal your boyfriend or your husband or your wife or your new job that you're trying to get or your position of popularity, whatever. That's jealousy. Envy isn't about losing something. Envy is about when somebody else has something and you want to gain it. They have that job. They have that title. They have that family life. They have whatever. And you're just, you want it. You're envious of it. Envy causes so many problems. It's a parasite that causes so many problems. First of all, it inhibits love. Let's look at this verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is actually called the love chapter. It describes love so brilliantly and poetically. And it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You can't love someone and be envious of them at the same time, just like you can't sneeze and keep your eyes open at the same time. It's impossible. You can't possibly love a person whom you're looking at and thinking, wow, I sure want all the stuff they have in their life. It's impossible. The two will never mix. The second um, thing that envy does, the parasite of envy does, it robs you of your unique life. Let me explain. I want to put up a picture of the actor who plays Thor. Come on, okay? I look at this every time I see this guy. I don't even know his name. I forgot his name. What is his name? Chris Hensley. Chris Hensley? Okay, we'll just go with Chris, but... um, Every time I've seen him in a movie or anything or pictures like this, I think I just grow in envy. I just, I'm just being honest with you, okay? I look at him and I go, I want his body. Not, okay, I want, that sounded wrong. I want his muscles, okay? I want muscles like that. I want a body like that. I want his facial hair. I can't grow a beard. My face just looks like it's dirty, okay? I can't do that. And honestly, I want his money, too. And I just get filled with envy. But see, that's the problem with envy. We get so caught up in somebody else's life that we're not able to fully live out our own. Okay? Imagine this. Imagine this. You're driving around your old junker car. I've had several cars that were just heaps. They're just literally rolling recycle bins held together by like duct tape and hope, okay? Have you ever had those when you start them off up and just black smoke pours out of them? I covered my neighbor one time with black smoke. Sorry. Oh, it was awesome. That was actually kind of fun. But say you're driving around a car like this and you and you end of your day, you pull in your driveway, you're exhausted and one of your best friends drives up and they're driving a brand new car. Not just any car, The car you've dreamed of having, okay? The car you're going to get when you pay off your student loans, i.e. never, okay? But it's the car you want. As soon as they get out of the car, you can feel the parasite of envy squirming around in you, can't you? And it goes far more, it goes far past just wanting their car. Suddenly you don't just want their car, you want their whole life. 
the next time you find yourself being blindsided with envy, do this. Intentionally celebrate the goodness in their life. That sounds impossible, but you can do it. Intentionally celebrate the goodness in their life. Look at them and say, you got a new car, that's so great, and you got a good deal on that. I'm so happy for you. Your family, that's going to be such a blessing for your family. And you might not mean it at first. You might have to fake it, which is pathetic, a word I learned from Joel, okay? It's, it's un, you know, you're really being insincere. But do it anyway, and let me tell you why. Because envy cannot survive in the atmosphere of gratitude. Let me say that again, because I really want you to get this. Envy cannot survive in the atmosphere or in the environment of gratitude. It just can't, okay? So when you are grateful for the things happening in your life or when you're grateful for the things happening in other person's life, for the goodness that's happening in them, either way it works. In that moment, in those moments of gratitude, gratitude does to envy What water does to the wicked witch of the West, it melts it. And it reminds you of a profound truth. And the truth is this, that in this life, crap happens. You've noticed that. Sometimes, not by your own doing at all, just horrible, awful, just difficult, heartbreaking things happen in this life. But this is also true. Sometimes copious amounts of unmerited goodness also happens. So when you celebrate the goodness that's happening in another person's life, it reminds you of the profound truth that goodness can happen to you too. Blessing happens. That should be the bumper sticker instead of you know what happens, okay? Because it's true. So gratitude is the key to defeating envy. And once envy is defeated in your life, you are free not to try to live somebody else's life, but to live your own. It's wonderful. I can tell you this, though. I got to warn you. When it comes to defeating envy, one of the things you got to watch out for and be careful of is social media Social media breeds envy faster than anything I've ever seen on this planet in my 55 years. Because when you log on to social media and you look at someone else's life, you're comparing your very real and raw life to their edited version of their life. And you instantly want what they have when in reality, they don't even have it. Their life isn't near as perfect as it looks like on social media. Envy also lies to us. It says, you know what, as a person, you don't have what it takes to be wantable, to be lovable, to live out this extraordinary life. And that is a total lie. Jesus tells, one of, it's really one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. In the book of Luke, he tells the story about the prodigal son, which is familiar to many of you, but if you don't know it, it's this story of this younger of two brothers who goes up to his dad and says, can I have my inheritance early? which is a massive insult in that culture. It's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. But the dad humbly gives into the request and gives him his inheritance, and he goes off and squanders it on parties and prostitutes and wild living, all this kind of stuff. He comes to his senses, comes back home. The dad sees him from a distance, and it says he girds up his loins, which means he hitched up his sweatpants, and he runs after him and embraces him and throws him a big party because it's like he got his son back from the dead. He was so excited. Meanwhile, the older son, who had never left, sees all this party going on, and he's filled with the parasite of envy. And he goes up to his dad and goes, What gives? 
I didn't squander any of your money. I didn't insult you. I didn't wish you to be dead. I've been working my tail off on the farm, and you've never thrown me a party. And the dad has the most brilliant response. He says, listen, you've always been with me. And then he says these words, which I'll put up on the screen because I want them emblazoned in your mind. And all I have is yours. I believe those are the words that God is speaking to every single one of us right now. He's saying, listen, I'm always with you, and all I have is yours. So you have everything you need from me to live a lovable, wantable, extraordinary life. So stop being envious of what I'm doing in someone else's life and start being grateful for all that I've done in your life and all that I'm going to continue to do. I think that's why the Ten Commandments end with such an unusual commandment. If you've ever read the Ten Commandments or even watched the movie, okay, the first nine commandments are things you can see. You can actually see them. The Tenth Commandment, you can't. The Tenth Commandment is about coveting or envy. It says, don't covet any of your neighbor's possessions. In other words, don't be envious of the person next to you. That's what it's saying. But ancient teachers believe this command wasn't really a command or a charge. It was actually a reward. It was God's way of saying, listen, listen, if you live out the first nine commandments, you won't struggle with the ten commandment, tenth commandment. You won't struggle with envy because if you live out the first nine commandments, you won't want anybody else's life. You'll want your own. It was a reward for living out God's dreams for you. That is so true. When we live our lives, the lives God has uniquely dreamed out for us with hearts full of gratitude, envy won't be an issue. I want to pray for us right now, and as I do, I'm going to have Joel and Annie come back up here, and we have something special going on afterwards, but let me pray for us.